produced by the iLab at WBUR, Boston. Welcome to Kind World. I'm Yasmin Amr. And I'm Andrea Aswahe. So, Yasmin, I don't know about you, but being in quarantine has led me to talk on the phone more than I have in a very, very long time. You are not kidding. Most nights, like during dinner, we just leave our phone on. Like we have dinner with other people and it's a really, really good way to connect when we can't actually see them. Yeah, my friend Landry and I, we used to go to the movies once a week, and now we are basically watching movies together, but separately in our own apartments. And then afterward, we FaceTime each other and we talk about the movies as if we had just watched it together on the movie screen. I mean, that's just what you have to do. I mean, you just cannot overstate how important technology has been in keeping us connected. But I do think our dependence on this has inevitably caused some people to feel left out. And someone who knows that all too well is 16-year-old Jordan Mittler. Um, Thank you all for joining us today for our next online Zoom class. We have a lot in store for you Every Sunday, Jordan teaches a free technology class designed specifically for seniors. It all started back when he was in middle school and his family gave his grandparents a pair of smartphones— he quickly realized they needed just a little bit of help to figure out how to use them. I spent numerous times on the phone with my grandparents uh, and walking them through simple procedures like sending a message and making a phone call and sending an email and downloading an app. But Jordan wanted to go beyond his grandparents. He wanted to help other people of their generation benefit from the tech tools we have right now. So he started teaching a class at a free space in his high school in New York. And the class was pretty popular. But when everything in the city shut down because of COVID-19, Jordan decided to keep teaching, this time online. Today's lesson is going to be revolving around online banking. That is something that we're all in a situation that we need to use. I think it's it's an enormous service that he's providing. Uh, I think it's it's a credit to him. And it's a credit to him that he wants to, not only that he wants to do this, but he wants to do it with people like us, with people like me. That's Rosalind Zuger, one of Jordan's students. Rosalind is originally from Ireland, but she's been in the U.S. for more than 60 years. At 90, she lives alone, but she maintains a pretty active social life. This lockdown's been really tough on her, but the skills she's learned in Jordan's class have helped her feel more comfortable using technology to connect more with family and friends. I think that that has made a um, a big difference to my situation being alone here. I'm not lonely at all. And I know I I can zoom in to anybody I like at any time. With that, I, I find that I can get through the days I get through the weeks. Jordan says his class size has more than doubled since going online. My goal um, is to be able to to spread my classes and expand it in a way that any senior uh, is able to access the classes. Jordan's story is such a great example of one person making a difference in this moment. But we wanted to share another story with you about a group of teenagers coming together and creatively finding a way to connect with their community. Hi, and thank you for calling Joy for All. 
We know that isolation is difficult, and we want to keep you company through these challenging times with the voices of children and youth from your community. This is from a hotline called Joy for All. It was created by a group of high school students in Calgary, Canada, more than a month ago. Hi, my name is Sherry Lynn. I hope you're staying safe during this time. I'm going to read a story for you today. The Calgary students pre-recorded jokes, short stories, poems, you know, positive messages for the hotline to help people feel connected to the outside world. And they invited other volunteers to do the same. Hi, everyone. My name is Amar, and today I have some inspiring quotes and kind messages for you guys. I hope you enjoy them and maybe even spread some of them. When the students started, they were thinking about nursing homes and how hard they've been hit by COVID-19. Some residents haven't been able to receive visitors. Some can't even go outside. There are so many people that are in disadvantaged situations that are feeling so alone, feeling like they aren't loved. That's 12th grader Jared Quinn who helps run Joy for All. He says that the hotline has really taken off, with almost 17,000 calls so far, reaching people beyond nursing homes. We've had messages from, you know, grandmas and grandpas who live on their own, and because of COVID, their own grandchildren can't see them. And they're like, this just makes me feel like I'm talking to my own grandchildren and they're talking to me. So maybe pick up the phone today, give someone a call. And if you'd like to hear a joke or a story, reach out to Joy for All. It's free. Just call 1-877-JOY, the number 4, ALL. That's 1-877-569-4255. Be humble and kind. Kindness changes everything. Always be a little kinder than necessary. And if you'd like to learn more about Jordan's technology class, we'll have a link for you on our website wbur.org slash kindworld. We'll be back with more Kind World after the break. Welcome back to Kind World. I'm Yasmin Ammer. And I'm Andrea Aswahe. So thinking about those connections made between seniors and teens, it really makes me think about my own grandparents. They live in Venezuela, and last year I got to see them in person for the first time in years. And it was really emotional because my grandfather and I, our birthdays are just two days apart. His birthday is actually tomorrow, May 20th. So we got to celebrate our birthdays together. And it's easy to think that we live in such different worlds because of the age gap between us. But we've always had this really special connection based on music and the arts. And I feel so lucky to have that. Ah, that's so beautiful. And there's just so much you can learn from their generation. So I'm so happy that you got that chance to reconnect. So that actually brings us to our next story of intergenerational connection. This essay from our friends at WBUR and the New York Times Modern Love the Podcast is called When Your Greatest Romance is a Friendship. It was written by Victor Lodato, and it's read by actor Ali Fazel. Is this your grandson? People sometimes ask Austin when she's out with me. I love watching her vanity prick up the way she tilts her small white head and brings out her southern accent to correct them. No, honey, he's my friend. At this point, folks usually smile tightly and turn away. Perhaps worried there's more than friendship going on between the old lady and the younger man seated at the bar or strolling through the supermarket. 
giggling like teenagers. Why were giggling? I couldn't tell you. Often our mirth seems fueled by some deep delight at being together. Friendship, like its flashier cousin, love, can be wildly chemical, and like love, can happen in an instant. When I met Austin, I was not looking for a friend. I'd come alone to this small town to finish a book, so when a bony, blue-eyed stranger knocked on my door, introducing herself as the lady from across the way and wondering if I might like to come over and see her garden, maybe have a gin and tonic, I politely declined. Watching her walk away though, in her velvet slip-ons and wrinkled blouse, I felt a strange pang. A slow pin of sadness that I suppose could best be described as loneliness. Suddenly I was dashing into the dirt road to say that I was sorry, that she had caught me in the middle of work, but that, yes, I would enjoy seeing her garden. Not the gin and tonic? Sure, that too, I answered, blushing. And before I could suggest a visit the next week, she said, So, I'll see you in a few hours then. Shall we say 4.30? (laughs) I had to admire her sense of time. Next week is for someone who can afford to put things off. Austin, in her 80s, surely felt no such luxury. I liked your face, she admitted later, telling me she had spotted me at the mailbox. As she poured the gin, I told her I had also seen her at the mailbox. And I liked her face too. I wish I had better eyebrows, she said. They used to be fabulous. Her garden was astounding, like something dreamed rather than planted. A mad hatter gothic in which a lawless grace prevailed. At dusk, the deer arrived, nibbling the crab apple blossoms. We had been talking for hours, slightly tipsy, and then we were in the kitchen cooking dinner. A retired psychologist, Austin had travelled extensively, spoke terrible Spanish and worse French, and was a painter now. She had had two husbands, the second of whom died in this house, in a small bed in the living room. That's what I'll do, Austin told me. This room gets the best light. We turned to the windows, but the light was already gone. That we could be quiet together so soon and without strain, felt auspicious. So you run away from home, she said at one point. From the beginning, there was something about our interaction that reminded me of friendships from childhood, in which no question was off limits. Austin seemed afraid of nothing, least of all death. I said I was still afraid of the dark. Living alone, she said can make you funny. <laughs> I laughed, but changed the subject, telling her I would like to see her paintings. Later, crossing the road back to my sublet, I wondered what I was doing. I reminded myself of my plan, hiding out, staying in the dream of the book. I wasn't here to socialize. After years of work on a single project, I was in the final stretch. I could finish a draft in a few months, head back home. Besides, 
If I wanted a friend during my retreat, I would find someone my age to throw back beers with. Gin and tonics with an old lady in our garden. That wasn't in the plan. But there I was the next weekend having dinner with her. And then it was every weekend. Sometimes we went out to a restaurant or hiked in the mountains. Austin's older friends seemed confused. <laughs> Is he helping you with the computer? One asked. When I first started talking about Austin to my own out-of-town friends, they assumed I'd found a new boyfriend. Austin's a woman, I would say. Besides, she's in her 80s. She's just a pal. Even as they replied, that's cool, I could almost hear them thinking, must be slim pickings out there. What was confusing, I guess, was not that two people of such different ages had become friends, but that we had essentially become best friends. Others saw our devotion as either strange or quaint, like one of those unlikely animal friendships, <laughs> a monkey and a pigeon, perhaps. If we made no sense from the outside, it didn't matter. We were mostly looking at each other. One night, Austin chatted about her life as a middle-aged wife in academia. I completely missed out on the wildness of the 60s, she said. I told her I had missed out too. You weren't born yet, she said. Or hardly. Often we cooked together. As we had that first night, after which she would show me whatever painting she was working on. At her request, I also started reading to her from my book in progress. We gave each other feedback. Our work improved. When my six-month lease was up, I renewed it. The novel wasn't finished. Plus, I couldn't imagine a better neighbor. Before I knew it, three years had passed. I was writing seven days a week and spending most evenings with Austin. She had spells of vertigo now and when we walked together, she held my arm. Often she couldn't find the right word for something. When she wanted to keep away visitors so she could paint, she hung a sign on her studio door. Do not destroy. Soon the headaches came and more jumbled language. I need to screw my calls, she said, meaning she needed to screen them. We laughed, then sobered. Tests were scheduled. Now she's eight months into what the doctor says a quick ravaging illness deep in her brain. They say there is no stopping it. A year more if she's lucky. Even as I refuse to believe this, I prepare for it. How? By keeping my promise to her. A few months before her diagnosis, Austin had attended a wedding. She showed me a copy of the vows which had been distributed at the ceremony, a detailed list. I read it carefully at Austin's request. We were sitting in a car, waiting for our favorite Thai restaurant to open. I never had anything like that with the men in my life, she said, pointing to the vows. We loved each other, but we didn't 
have that. She was crying now. Something she rarely did. I took her hand and said, Well, you have it with me. Everything but the sex. At which point, the monkey kissed the pigeon. That night, I had an odd realization. Some of the greatest romances of my life have been friendships. And these friendships have been, in many ways, more mysterious than erotic love. More subtle, less selfish, more attuned to kindness. Of course, Austin was going to die long before I did. That's not what this is about. This, I have come to understand, is a love story. Austin continued to paint for several months more. Fractured, psychedelic self-portraits in scorching colours. Her best work. Lately, though, she is tired and hardly leaves the couch. I sit with her at the opposite end, our legs intertwined. Read to me, she says. When I tell her the book is finished, she tells me to read her something new. But whenever I do, she promptly falls asleep. I don't leave, though. I stare out the window. Austin was right. This room does get the best light. Recently, her hair has thinned, but she has a shock of white up front that her friend's daughter has dyed with a streak of fuchsia. She looks like some punk girl I might have dated in high school. She had a bit more energy the last time I came to visit and said, Oh, Victor, I had the most wonderful dessert yesterday. Peaches and Connecticut. Have you ever had it? No, I said smiling. <laughs> I love the idea of it. Two things that don't seem to go together. Monkeys and pigeons. Beaches in Connecticut? Unlikely, yes, but delicious beyond measure. That was actor Ali Fazel reading Victor Lodato's essay, When Your Greatest Romance is a Friendship, for Modern Love the Podcast. Thanks for listening to Kind World this week. Be sure to follow us on Instagram for more from our episodes and a behind-the-scenes look at how we make our show. We're at WBUR Kind World. Kind World is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR station. Paul Vikas and Matt Reed do our sound design. Sophie Eisenberg is our WBUR fellow and helped us produce this episode. And Catherine Brewer is our editor and managing producer. Modern Love the Podcast is a production of WBUR and The New York Times. It's produced, directed, and edited by Caitlin O'Keefe. Original scoring and sound design by Matt Reed. Daniel Jones is the editor of Modern Love for The New York Times and advisor to the show. 
Magna Chakrabarty is the host, and Iris Adler is the executive producer of Modern Love the Podcast and Kind World. I'm reporter and producer Andrea Aswahe. And I'm reporter and producer Yasmin Aber. We'll be back with a full episode of Kind World on Tuesday. But on Friday, you'll get our weekly moment of kindness in your podcast feed. If you've got a story for us, call and leave us a message. We're at 617-353-6350. That's 617-353-6350. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.